Well, amen. Let's look in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. I'm going to share a message entitled Energized Ministry. Amen. Out of Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. We'll read down to verse 14. While you're opening up there, just uh, want to remind you, if some of you men could help out after the service tonight to set up some tables. Uh, we'd appreciate that. See uh, Terry Pierbaseni, she'll tell you what needs to be set up. And so some of you fellows uh, stick around just for a few moments, and uh, we'll be able to get those tables set up and ready to go for VBS tomorrow morning. Acts chapter 1 and uh, verse 1, The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up. After that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, Ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons, which the Father hath put into his, in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they into Jerusalem from the Mount of Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into the upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zealots, and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren." And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of the names uh, together were about 120. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs be fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake concerning Judas, uh, which was guide to them that took Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be together tonight. And uh, Lord, it's always a thrill and a joy to be able to study the Word of God together. Uh, may we learn some things in the early church uh, about the power of God moving, uh, the energy that was experienced, and uh, Lord, the excitement about all that God had done in their life and what He was going to continue to do uh, stirred their soul. And Lord, may it give us a, a thrill, may it give us an understanding heart, 
uh, may it gives us a resolve to walk in the power of the Spirit of the living God. And I pray if there's anyone here tonight not saved, Lord, it's my desire that they might come and receive Christ as their Savior. So bless the preaching of the Word of God, and we'll give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text verse is verse 5. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. Energized ministry. And I always like things moving fast. I don't like things going slow. Uh, when I was on the farm, we raced everything. We'd race our bicycles. We got tired of riding our bicycles, so we put motors on them. And then we'd race each other. Uh, we'd have go-karts, mini bikes, you name it. We would have them all, motorcycles, race cars. We'd buy junk cars at the junkyard for $10, cut the bodies off, and just have a seat there. And we'd go out racing across the field. And I remember one day my brother was out in the field, uh, in the tomato field, uh, horsing around and racing. And uh, uh, there was one of the guys was out there picking tomatoes that we knew. And boy, my dad heard what was going on. Of course, there was no mufflers on those cars, just straight pipes. My dad started walking across the tomato field and everybody scattered, except for my brother. And uh, he was in major, major trouble. We were always going fast. We always want to get things done. We always want to compete. Energized ministry. That is carried over in my life as a Christian and certainly as a pastor. It's my desire for things to be moving ahead. And uh, I want things to be exciting. And I want God to move in our lives in a way that we sense the power and the majesty of God Almighty. Jesus had spent three years training and preparing his disciples for the ministry uh, that he would have them to accomplish. Uh, he has left them with commandments to follow. That's what it says in verse 2. He had given commandments unto his apostles whom he had chosen. And God always gives us commandments. God always gives us instruction. God always gives us guidelines uh, that we are to live by. He not only gave them commandments to, to follow, but he assured them that he was alive. In verse 3, it, he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, uh, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And when Jesus arose out of the grave, the thing that would stir his disciples and get them thrilled and excited about living their life for the cause of Christ was the fact that Jesus was alive. He wasn't dead. He wasn't sealed in the tomb. Uh, he arose out of the grave like he said he would, and he appeared to his disciples and his appearance in, his, in the flesh of the body that he possessed on this earth gave them energy and excitement and a resolve uh, to fulfill the kingdom of God. He has instructed them concerning the kingdom of God in verse 3 because he tells us that he had speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. I think the thing that stirs people up in the church is when we talk about the things of God. When we talk about the kingdom of God, we talk about what God is desiring to do and how God's kingdom can be fulfilled as we walk with God and we preach the gospel and we share our faith with others. God can be magnified and can change things in our lives and in the lives of others. I'm thankful for the time that we can be invested in preparing for ministry. Uh, my pastor used to say years ago, God has a prepared place for a prepared man. And if you would be willing to always allowing Christ to mold you into his image, always being willing 
to do whatever you can to study and prepare uh, for the work that God would have you to do. God will always have a place for you to be used by Him for His glory. And through that process, it is an exciting time. Uh, it's exciting to be involved in what God is doing. Something that's energized, something that is powerful. That's why John truly baptized with water. That was exciting in the days of John the Baptist. But he said about Jesus, but he shall baptize, uh, yeah, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Now, the unction that comes from God, the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God upon our lives gives us fire and it gives us energy to do the work of the Lord. And so we need to be thrilled, we need to be energized about the opportunities that God gives us to serve and to glorify Him. You think about VBS this week. There's a lot of work that's been done, a lot of prayers that have been offered up. There's much that's going to need to be done this week. But listen, you can accomplish what God desires for us to do because of the fact of the fire of the Holy Spirit of God. We need believers in Christ. We need men and women that are walking with God, that are on fire with the Holy Spirit of God. And uh, not trying to do things in our own strength, and our own means, and our own understandings, but following the, the leading of the Spirit of God and realizing that, wait a minute, the power of God rests upon us because of the promise that the Holy Spirit would come. And so I see an energized ministry in the early church because of the promise that was experienced. In verse 4, notice he says, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, Ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And so the promise experience. First of all, I see there's a corporate unity that takes place because of the promise of uh, the Christ being with them and the Holy Spirit being in them. Notice the focus is on Christ. Uh, he was being, I thought it was interesting in verse 4 that it says, being assembled together with them. And this, this is talking about Jesus was there with them. It wasn't just them gathering together. But the focus was on Christ's presence with the early believers and uh, the, the corporate unity that is focused on Christ and Christ alone. Jesus said, uh, uh, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am in the midst. The reality is tonight, Christ is here. The Lord is here. He is here because of the fact two or three are gathered together in his name. There is energy and there is excitement and there is joy in the heart of the believer because of the fact it is Christ who unites us together. It is Christ who binds us together uh, through his love and through his power and through his will that's being accomplished in each of us. So there's corporate unity based on the being focused on Christ. But also it's based on the power that is Christ and the power that comes from Christ and Christ alone. And uh, he's talking about being baptized with the Holy Ghost here. 
And he's talking about the power of God that would rest upon them. That's why John would write in 1 John 4, 4, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I'm afraid many times we as believers have a tendency to back off and let up because of the fact of the aggression of the world. Many times we as believers are not willing to walk in the power of God because we're intimidated by the corruption that is in the world. We just need the move of God upon us where the spirit of God is so powerful that people get under conviction just because of your presence I, I just remember years ago when I got saved and I always used to be tickled because my brother one brother-in-law was not saved and we were praying for him to be saved and trying to be a witness and I didn't even have to talk to him I'd walk in the room he'd get up and walk out I felt like saying, man, I'm not going to jump you here, you know. I just want to talk, come in and fellowship with you. And I, my prayer is that now maybe he saw Christ in me. Maybe he sensed the presence of the Spirit of God in me. Uh, maybe it's just, just the fact that he just wanted to disregard the gospel message and just didn't want to be saved. But hallelujah, praise the name of Jesus that he did get saved later on and changed his life. And I'm thankful tonight that there is the power of Christ that rests upon us. And because the Christ that is in us, we can have a unity together and experience a power Powerful move of God because of the promise of God being experienced. He said that he would draw them together and that he would give them strength and give them power. Uh, Listen, the greatest thing you can do to experience a move and a power of God upon you is to be connected with and united with and committed to your local church. And that's committed to all services, all ministry opportunities, uh, whatever may be going on. You just get plugged into it because there is power that rests upon the believer because of us gathering together in the name of Jesus Christ. I tell you, I've never seen a strong Christian who wasn't in church. I've never seen a, a Christian that was making a difference for Christ when they were outside of church. Uh, It requires of us, I believe, the promise that God gave to the early believers that they were to wait for the promise of the Father. They were to gather themselves together and realize they would be baptized with the Holy Ghost. And so there's a corporate unity. There not only is the promise experienced by corporate unity, but compassionate opportunity. He says here, speaking the things that pertain to the kingdom of God. Of God. He goes on and speaks in reference to the fact that, but wait for the promise in verse 4 of the Father, which saith he, Ye have heard of me. The compassion and opportunity that we have is to share the testimony of the Lord. The greatest thing that you can talk to somebody about is who Jesus Christ is and what Christ has done in your life. You know, the Psalm 19 in verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. How foolish people are in the decisions that they make and what they uh, do in life, but it's the compassionate opportunity of telling people what you know about Jesus Christ, what you've experienced in Christ that will make a change in their life, the testimony of the Lord. Uh, You know, it's absolutely not about our talents and our skills and our abilities. It is everything about who Jesus is to us. 
I mean, who is he to you? Is he just a name? Is he just a religious figure? Or is he literally the son of God who lives and dwells and abides in you? Is he the one who fulfills all the promises of the Father in heaven? The testimony of the Lord. We share with others what we've heard about Christ and the witness of the Lord. In Acts chapter 26, in verse 16, Jesus told Paul, he says, But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of those things which thou hast seen and of those things in which I will appear unto thee. Uh, Christ is very clear with the Apostle Paul. Uh, he didn't just save him just to be a, 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 a miraculous leader. He didn't just change, save him uh, just to be a, a stronger religious leader in Israel. He saved him for the purpose of being a minister to witness to the fact of what things God had done in his life. And Christian, I want you to know this. An energized ministry is a ministry that grabs a hold of every opportunity that we have to share with others what we've heard about Jesus Christ and what he has done in our hearts and our lives and how it's a, a, a transition that takes place when we trust the Lord that you'll never be a, the same again. And it stirs people and it fills them with the fire of the Holy Ghost and with the joy of the Lord. And there's a promise that is experienced. I'm glad that God promised that he's not willing that any should perish. I'm glad there's not one person that we come in contact with that God looks down and says, I don't want to save that person. I'm glad that God gives us compassionate opportunities to be able to share who Christ is, everything we've heard of him. And so there's a corporate unity. There's a compassionate opportunity. But there's also a conscious anointing. John truly baptized with water but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Now listen, the disciples, when Jesus is speaking this to them, uh, the reality is, is the Spirit of God had not indwelled the believers at that point. The Spirit of God would come on believers and use them in a great way, but he did not indwell the believers because Christ had not been glorified. But here, the Spirit of God, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is God's Spirit placing us within the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, it says that we are all baptized in the one body by one Spirit. And you and I are a part of the body of Christ because when you got saved, you trusted Christ as your Savior. Jesus Christ baptized you, immersed you, placed you into the body of Christ. And so these apostles, they had no idea what Jesus was talking about when he says ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. But I'm going to tell you on the day of Pentecost, they experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They experienced the move of the Spirit of God coming upon them and empowering them and using them for the glory of God. I'm thankful that when you trust Christ as Savior, you've already got the Holy Spirit of God. He's already got a hold of you. He has placed you in the body of Christ and He is ready to energize you and use you in a powerful way to testify of all that Jesus Christ is. So there's a conscious anointing. I think many times we just live our life in a way that we forget that we must have the anointing, the fire of the Holy Ghost of God. First John 2.20 says, But ye have an unction 
from the Holy One, and you know all things. The unction or the moving of the Spirit of God, a, prom a promise that is experienced in the early church and can be experienced in our lives. It energizes our ministry. I don't know about you, but I love to be able to sit down and hear preaching where I sense the move of the Spirit of God. I always pray every Sunday when, before I start to preach, I always pray for God to fill me with His Holy Spirit. I ask for God to anoint me and help me to be able to have liberty in Christ. And that doesn't always happen. There's times when I'm up here preaching, I'm struggling, I'll tell you. There's times I'm up here, the devil is fighting and he's attacking and I'm trying to preach. There, there's times I know, I know that I'm a, a, but a man also. I know there's times where I get in the flesh and I'm not saying what the Spirit of God wants me to say. But my prayer is, oh God. Anoint me with thy Holy Spirit. Fill me with the Spirit of God and give me the power of the fire of God Almighty so that I might be able to communicate the promises that God has for each of us. An energized ministry is based upon the filling of the Holy Spirit of God. I see not only the promise that's experienced, but I see the priority that is established. Notice in verse 6 of our text, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? Notice their expressed desire. They're wanting to know the timing of God. You know, every one of us struggle with this concept of wanting to know God's timing. And the reality is God doesn't tell us what his timing is. They're wanting to know, is this the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And, and the response of Christ was that it was not for them to know the times or the seasons. Uh, God doesn't reveal everything to us in reference to His timing and uh, His perfect move. But I know this, that God will give us peace about His willingness to move and to do what He desires to do. And so their expressed desire was the timing of God and the will of God. And they wanted to know if this was God's will that at this very moment that he would restore the kingdom to, that, to uh, Israel. And uh, sometimes I just think we need to remind ourselves that God just isn't going to tell you everything. Uh, God has his perfect time. He has his perfect will. And he's going to do things in the way that he desires to do it, not in reference to what we desire God to do. The greatest thing that we can do as a, as a Christian is just to simply be satisfied that God does have a will that he's going to accomplish and God does have perfect timing in the accomplishment of that will. All I need to do is present my body as a living sacrifice. All I have to do is surrender myself to the will of God. And Jesus is helping these disciples, these apostles to understand, wait a minute, it is not for you to know the times and the seasons. He's just telling this, don't you worry about the times and the seasons. I've got that under control. Don't you worry about when I'm going to restore the kingdom to Israel. You just do what I've called you to do and you just preach the word and you just share my testimony. And so there is a priority that is established when they express their desire to the Lord. Delight thyself in the Lord and he shall give thee the desires of thy heart. You know, delighting in the Lord is not you demanding of God to do certain things. Delighting in the Lord is to be satisfied with what it is God's doing at the time that He wants to do it. 
and that you delight thyself in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thy heart. I have found that when we delight ourselves in the Lord, it's not so much us communicating to God what we want, but rather it's God helping us to understand what he wants. And when we surrender and delight ourselves in the way of God, God uh, fulfills his will and desire in our life. A priority that is established, expressed desires. But fulfilled trust, notice in verse 7, is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. Notice, trust, fulfilled trust, is not man-dependent. And uh, what they were going to accomplish, what was going to take place in the early church was not dependent upon man, but rather it was God-dependent. And Jesus is revealing to them, there is a work that I'm going to do, a move that I'm going to come upon you, the filling of the Spirit of God that's going to overpower you, and souls will be saved, but it's not going to be based on man's ability, it's going to be based on what I desire to do. And the greatest, listen, the greatest thing we can do as a believer in Christ is realize uh, it is not about us. This Christian life is not about us. This Christian life is about Jesus Christ and Christ alone. So it's not man-dependent, it's God-dependent. And uh, we want to depend on the Lord. It's good to put yourself in a position where if God doesn't come through, you're not going to make it. I have found this over the years, that when we're in a position where we have to trust the living God, uh, then we have to depend on God. That's when God comes through and God is glorified. And so it's fulfilled trust is in the Lord. Notice there's extended soul winning in verse 8. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. See, this matter of being baptized with the Holy Ghost in fire is the reality that when you receive the power and the fire of the Holy Ghost, Ye will be witnesses, he says. Ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. There is an extended soul winning that takes place. The source of the power in the soul winning is the Holy Spirit of God. And you can, listen, you cannot lead anybody to Christ. You do not save anybody. It is a conviction that comes by the Holy Spirit of God. And if you're not walking in the Spirit, you might be able to get somebody to pray a prayer, but you're not going to get them saved. You're just going to have somebody pray a prayer. And there must be the move and the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. We must have the source of power that brings conviction on people. That is not man manipulating people's thoughts, but it's the Spirit of God that's bringing conviction on their soul as the Spirit of God witnesses to their spirit, whether they're a child of God or not. I don't know about you, but I know when I got saved, it was because there was an unsettledness, there was a conviction in my heart that even though I had gone to church and Sunday school all my life, I was not a Christian. I was not saved. I was not forgiven. I was not going to heaven. I was on my way to hell, and I needed to be forgiven. That was a conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. And so we see the extended soul winning understands the source of power. And the extent of influence, not just his neighborhood, not just Jerusalem and Judea, 
but he's going to go to Samaria, he's going to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. And uh, so the, the witness that we have uh, reveals who Christ is to everyone. You know, Apostle Paul said he was free from the blood of all men. And you study the life of the Apostle Paul, he was free from the blood of, the, uh, of all men was because of the fact that he preached and witnessed to every soul that he came in contact with about Jesus Christ. You know, Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse 18 tells us that we do not warn the wicked of their wicked ways, their blood shall require at thy hands. I believe with all my heart that God has... Uh, given a priority in our life that we are to be a witness of a testimony of reference to who Jesus Christ is that others may be saved. An energized ministry is a ministry who's getting people saved. An energized ministry is a ministry that has a priority that is established that is not our desires but is the will of God that must be accomplished and fulfilled. So we see a promise experience a priority established, but we also see prophecy that's revealed. Notice in verse 9, it says, When he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Prophecy revealed. Notice there was an immediate departure. Immediate departure. As he's talking with them, all of a sudden he was taken up into glory. And uh, I really believe that this has illustrated the rapture to come. And uh, Jesus is caught up in the heaven. And, uh, you know, Jesus would uh, warn his disciples about that he would go away and that he would come again. The Apostle Paul would write about the catching away of the believer at the rapture when Jesus returns again. And so here is Jesus in the front of them immediately departing and being taken up into heaven. And no doubt when the preaching and the witnessing and the writing of the Apostle Paul in reference to prophetic events in reference to the church and what the believer would experience, I'm going to tell you one thing right now. No doubt their minds went back to the day when they saw Jesus being caught up into heaven. And so we have an immediate departure. And when, listen, when the trump of God sounds immediately, we're going to be raptured out of this world and taken up into glory. And so there's prophecy revealed. Now there's a profound display in verse 10. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. A display that they saw as Jesus was being taken up in the glory. I believe this paralleled uh, the ex it's a paralleled experience, and I believe that experience parallels with that of Elijah. I think of Elijah back in Second Kings chapter two. Elijah's with Elijah. And all of a sudden, he sees the chariots of God. They see, he sees Elijah caught up in the glory, up into the heavens. And the amazing thing is this. Uh, these disciples, these apostles, not only have witnessed Christ being brought back to life in the grave, but now they're seeing a, uh, him ascending the glory uh, like they've never seen him before. And they've been on, Peter, James, and John had been on the Mount of Transfiguration. And it was a glorious event, but nothing as glorious as watching Christ ascend up into heaven, the profound display. I see there was an expectant desire. In verse 11, it says, Which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall come in like manner as you've seen him go up into heaven. An expected desire is a promised return. 
Jesus said, if I go, I will come again and receive unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. I don't know about what your expectation is tonight, but my expectation is Jesus Christ is coming again. I can't wait for the Lord to come. I can't wait to hear the trumpet of God sound. I can't wait to see Jesus descending from heaven to catch us up in the glory. I'm glad that he's going to prepare a place for us, but I'm happier that he's coming to get us to take us there. Amen. So there's prophecy revealed. I'm going to tell you, you get stirred up about the return of Christ, it'll give you energy in your Christian life. You get stirred up about the return of Christ, it'll give energy in the church. When people walk in the church and they sense a move of God and a vibration of the Spirit of God, then they realize that Jesus Christ is coming again. I'm telling you, power from heaven is opened up from the windows of heaven, and we are moved in the grace and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so prophecy revealed. I see there's prayer ignited. Don't worry, I'll come to an end sooner or later. You'll be all right. Notice in verse 12, Then returned they into Jerusalem from Mount Olive, from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. Now, Sabbath day's journey was about uh, 2,000 cubits. 2,000 cubits. A cubit is a foot and a half. So uh, Sabbath day's journey was about 3,000 feet. Uh, 3,000 feet is just a little bit over a half a mile. So here they are. They're out at Mount Olivet, and they're getting ready to go back to Jerusalem. They got, they, they're only a Sabbath day journey. They only have about a half mile that they have to walk to get back into Jerusalem. And when they came, or when they were come in, they went up in the upper room, uh, where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, Zealots, and Judas the brother of James. And they all continue with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. Prayer was ignited. I'm going to tell you when they realized the promise that came from God and they saw the priority that God established that they were to hold to. And the prophecy that was revealed, they had one place to go. And that was to go in prayer and talk with their God. Notice the persevering in the prayer. It says, these all continued with one accord. Uh, we don't give up on praying. Amen. We pray for miracles. We believe God for miracles. And we pray till the miracles come. Uh, we, we pray for people to be saved. We don't stop praying for them. We pray until they get saved. Amen. Uh, we continue. They continue with one accord in prayer. The promise was the Holy Ghost is going to come. And they started praying about it. And they continued on praying until they were filled with the Holy Ghost of God on the day of Pentecost. I know this, if you want to be filled with the Spirit of God, you want the power of God resting upon you, it's going to require some time of commitment and persevering in prayer. You know, they used to have the old timers, they used to come up to the altars, and they also call it prevailing prayer. They used to call it persevering in prayer. They used to, when they came to the altar of God, they weren't intimidated by coming to the altar. They weren't like most of us nowadays. We don't want to go down the altar. We don't have people looking at us. The invitation is given. If I go down to the altar, somebody's going to wonder what, what sins in their life. Uh, what's wrong with them? 
Uh, I found this out. Don't worry about what people are thinking. I just found this. If something has been laid on your heart, the Spirit of God is moving in your soul, then you get on your face before God and you pray till the answer comes. Whether it be yes or whether it be no or whether it be later on, you pray until God gives the assurance in your heart um, that He's going to answer your prayer. They continued with one accord in prayer. So I see the persevering. I see the communicating. They uh, continued with one accord, but it was in prayer. Prayer is nothing more than communicating with God, talking with the Lord. Uh, It is not getting some flowery religious speech. Sometimes it bothers me, and I try to watch uh, because we, we have a tendency to fall into these traps of praying platitudes. We just pray the Baptist phraseologies that we know everybody's supposed to say when they pray. And what happens is we have lost the ability to communicate with God. God just wants you to talk to him. God wants you sometimes just to shut up and listen. I don't know why we think, you know, any communication or conversation that you have with anybody where it's one-sided. I don't know, I kind of think my, I've been with my mom, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> but you know, communication, talking with one another, is not one person dominating the conversation. Communication and conversation is two parties communicating with each other. Why is it when we go to God in prayer, we think we have to tell God everything that he needs to know about what's going on in our life when he's omnipotent anyway? I think we ought to be willing to spend time in prayer and talking with the Lord and just sometimes be quiet at the throne of grace. You know, God spoke to Elijah in a still small voice. And God may be wanting to speak to your heart in a still, small voice, but you can't hear him because you just won't be quiet. It's okay. I always get interested when you have corporate prayer, you're praying in the church, and you say, I'd like several people to pray, and, and somebody doesn't pray right away. And I can hear people starting to fidget. Oh, somebody's got to pray. Who's going to pray? You know, and, and start, I start feeling all antsy myself and I start thinking well maybe should I close this prayer and when I start feeling that way God smites my heart God says why don't you just be quiet for a while I just want you to sit in my presence I just want you to listen to what I have to say to you and I think sometimes we rush through our prayers because we feel that oh we've got to tell God everything and if we tell God everything then God's going to respond to us the way we want him to respond to when we've taken no time to listen to what God has to say. These folks uh, were in the upper room praying and continuing in prayer in one accord in agreement with one another. So I see the persevering. I see the communicating, and then I see the pleading, supplication. Supplication is pleading to the Lord for someone that is in need, pleading with God, weeping, crying out, bearing your soul, laying everything on Christ, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you, Uh, being willing to plead 
our cause and plead our plight before the Lord. Supplication. Supplication always deals with going before the Lord on behalf of someone else. Now, they, they're in the upper room. And they're praying and they're praying and they're praying until the Holy Ghost comes. And when the Holy Ghost comes, I'm going to tell you the Spirit of God came down and Peter stood up and preached. And when he stood up and preached, 3,000 souls were saved. And literally what he was preaching and how he was preaching and what he's experienced in his preaching was fulfillment of the prophet Joel. Prophecy was fulfilled because of the fact they had an energized ministry because of the fire and the move of the Holy Ghost in them. The outcome of that is in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. I just thought it was interesting that in chapter 1, they're continuing in prayer and supplication. The priority is the prayer and supplication, but the product is they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayer. And so when there is an energized ministry, there is a move of God on the hearts of those that are pursuing the Lord, I'll tell you, it is a natural thing that they continue in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. It is a natural thing for believers to follow after Christ and pursue Christ, not this flim-flam type of Christianity where people are in and out of church and bounced all over the place. The product of energy that comes from God and from the, thr the throne of grace is an energy that stirs us to be with God's people and to serve the living God. And as a result of it, these apostles turned the city of Jerusalem upside down with the doctrine of Jesus Christ without social media, without the internet without commentaries to read from. They turned the world upside down. Why? Because Jesus had promised them, John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. We have the glorious privilege that when you trust Christ as your Savior, you're automatically baptized by the Holy Ghost into the body of Christ. But the wonderful privilege that we have is that indwelling of the Holy Spirit that as we surrender to His will and His movement in our life, there is fire that comes from the throne of God. And how, listen, Sunday school teachers, you know what you need in your Sunday school class is a fire that makes you burn with passion for those students in that Sunday school class. You know what will make a difference in our church ministry is every ministry that we partake in, we do it with a fire that comes from the Spirit of God. We don't do it out of duty. VBS workers, I don't care who you are, I don't care if you're recreation, kitchen, teaching, skits, or whatever. It is not your duty to do this. It is your privilege to serve the living God. And you need the fire of the Holy Ghost upon you. The ministries that we have in our church are not, we don't do them out of duty. We do them because of the fire of the Holy Ghost. 
And when the fire of the Holy Ghost is upon us, I'll tell you, there is an energy that'll stir you up and move you in a mighty way for God. I just think of great saints of God I've known over the years. Oh, they're not in any books. You don't read of any you won't read their name in some book, some biography or autobiography. You won't read about them in Davis Bible Dictionary. Now, there's a multitude of people that I've known over the years that had the fire of the Holy Ghost upon them. And they lived their life for the glory of God, not desiring anything as far as recognition, as far as who they are. They just wanted to be a help to whoever they could help for the glory of God. And they did it with fire and with excitement. I mean, when you see somebody that's, that's 80, 85, 90 years old, and they're still living for God and serving the Lord, I'm going to tell you there's nothing more powerful and life-changing than to know that that's because of the fire of the Holy Spirit. I remember I watched Dr. Malone preach. I remember watching him, and uh, as he was older, I think he was in his 90s when they, he got up to preach, I remember watching him, and some guys had to help him up onto the platform. I was out at West Coast Baptist College. I was out at a leadership conference. Dr. Malone was out there. And they, he couldn't walk up the steps, and some guys helped him and walked him up there. And I had to laugh. They presented him with this plaque and all this, that, and the other beautiful plaque, it was, you know, recognizing his ministries and stuff. They set it down to him. He could care less. <laughs> he could care less about it. He didn't even look at it. Uh, I saw him up there. He was looking through his Bible, looking at some notes. Next thing you know, the guys helped him get, stand up to come in the pulpit. And he came up into the pulpit, and I preached. I mean, he preached a message with fire. And when he was done, he couldn't hardly get out of the pulpit. Someone had to help him get down out of the pulpit. I remember old Dr. Criswell. I watched him preach a message on the old-time religion. Old-time religion. And I remember watching him, and they had to help him up into the pulpit. And he got up into the pulpit, and I mean, he preached with fire. And uh, what a message. I, I, every once in a while, I turn it on. It's on, on YouTube, uh, uh, old-time religion. What am I saying? I'm just saying this. They had a fire. They had a burning in their soul. They had something that energized them for multitudes of years of ministering to others with no concern for themselves. And the early church experienced a move of God and an energy that came from God that no one witnessed before. No one understood what was going on, but God's fire came down. And I'm going to tell you, the church uh, was launched out and, uh, and fulfilled the prophecies and the will of God in, the, in reference to His body of believers that would trust Him as their Savior. I'm just saying, that's what we need in 2019. We need the energy of God, which is the fire of the Holy Ghost. And when you walk and you live your life and you serve the Lord and you serve others with the fire of the Holy Ghost, I'm going to tell you, it makes a difference. Not just in your own life. It makes a difference in the lives of others. Energized ministry. That's what I want. That's what I want to experience. 
I want to experience the energy of God. And uh, so we're just going to ask the Lord to help us in that area. Amen. So let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the testimony of men and women gone by. We're thankful for their lives, their testimonies, Lord, their willingness to surrender in a way uh, that the fire of God manifested itself over and over and over again. I'm thankful, Lord, for this church. I'm thankful for each worker, each minister in the church. Lord, that each one of us can be filled with the fire of the Holy Ghost. Lord, you've given us the privilege of being able to serve and be able to minister uh, the gospel of Christ, the grace of God to others. And so, Lord, will you fill us with the fire of the Holy Ghost this week? God, will you give us an energy that is supernatural? God, will we be able to see, will you let us see, will you enable us, Lord, to have eyes to see uh, the outpouring of conviction of the Holy Spirit upon those that we're ministering to? And Lord, as we minister one with another, may we do it in the fire of the Spirit of God that we might be able to be iron that sharpeneth iron. We might be able to be grace that enables us to grow. And Lord, that we might be the brothers and sisters of Christ as one glorious body that's being filled with the presence of Almighty God. Bless us, Lord. Speak to us. Move upon us. The Holy Spirit of God, I pray that if there's someone here tonight that's not saved, touch them, convict them, draw them to the throne of grace, even now, Lord, as I'm praying. May they sense a move and a conviction of God on their heart. God will give you the praise. There's nothing that man can do, only God can do. And so we'll move and bless in this invitation in Jesus' name. Amen.